Welcome to Stories of COVID, the interview project that explores what it's like to experience a global pandemic. I never thought I would see this in my lifetime. It is scary and it is very real, but it's not hopeless. As I said, I changed three planes. None of them were wearing any gloves or masks. I've never seen so much support for freelancers or artists in the in the media um, as I have now. They both laid me off from just the advent of the, the outbreak. I'm anthropologist and author Veronica Kieran, and I am building an interview archive of stories and anecdotes that define this time in history to write a book preserving this experience for future generations. If you have an experience that you'd like to share, check out the show notes to sign up for an interview. Megan Bunchman is a media entrepreneur. She is both professor to students, and she also works with various media outlets. In this episode, she describes what is happening in the media from an expert standpoint and how critical fact-checking is in any situation. You know, it's funny, it, I don't have that exact memory that so many people do for different things like 9-11 or when Osama bin Laden was killed and President Obama, um, Barack Obama announced it. But I remember just kind of hearing, I don't wanna say rumors of it because obviously it wasn't rumors, but just echoes of the virus probably back in February through news flashes. You just start kind of seeing what's happening internationally and it would be a quick little 20-second VOSAT or a VO within the TV news world or a reader. And so it was just a little bit of the mumblings and that was about it. It didn't really, I don't know what day we just decided that it's officially here in the U.S. and we're going to start talking about it. It was just kind of here um, one day and we were all just immediately having to pivot. You know what? Actually, as I said that with February, it was January because my siblings, my older sister and her husband and their three kids, they had just moved to Japan. She's in the Navy. And my parents went over there to help her and them acclimate. And I remember we started kind of worrying if in theory, the borders were gonna be shut down, specifically being in Asia. So it was Japan that I started hearing about it and it, it started becoming more of a, I don't wanna say concern, but just more of a reality within my direct world. She's um, at one of the naval bases in just south of Tokyo, and they honestly just started their shelter-in-place or shelter-at-home orders only about two weeks ago. They were severely behind us. Japan and Asia, ironically, I mean, I know it started in China, but it, it tends to be a lot more of a clean um, area with a lot stricter rules. That's why, you know, when we all travel and we see, and we're traveling overseas, we see a lot of Asian populations already wearing masks. That's just part of their everyday life. So Japan was delayed and she's fine. She's a physician in the Navy over there. So she's still going to work. And, you know, it means difference for my poor brother-in-law who now is at home with three babies under three. So he's got a different reality right now, but you know, they just don't have time to acclimate. Just like everyone, the pandemic is impacting just your day-to-day, -day, the now new dependence on technology and that weird cabin fever that, you know, the first four or five weeks of shelter in place didn't really get me. And then last week, which was ending the fifth week for us along the East Coast and in the Midwest, that's when just the 
the, I don't know, it's not paranoia, but just the anxiousness sort of just set in for me and my family. Obviously, we've all had to pivot and work from home in different capacities. I have two stepkids, so now all of a sudden, in addition to all the jobs I actually do to bring in an income, I feel like a full-time fourth and third grade teacher, a full-time chef, uh, a full-time housekeeper, things like that. So it's funny, on the weeks that we have our kids, I am busier than ever. I'm so busy, it's absolutely absurd. I can't find a second to take a breath. And I mean, I can see myself forfeiting some of those self-care habits that I would typically do, including just like a quick 30 minute run for my own mindset. And I can feel my own anxiety and frustration just bubbling up because of that. And then on the weeks that we don't have them, that would be this week, I really hit it hard with all of my jobs to try to basically bust out two weeks worth of work within these four or five days. Everyone all of a sudden um, has to do their meetings online. And there's that joke that now we can finally see which meetings could have just been completed via an email versus those that were expendable or actually necessary. So, you know, for to a certain degree, certain things have been streamlined, that there's less of the fluff and pomp and circumstance that a lot of businesses kind of bring into it. Um, and I, as for me personally, I'm a definitely more of a direct person anyway. So I appreciate kind of, let's get to the point, let's not waste time. But it is very strange still, um, just to not have that personal I don't want to say touch, but that personal interaction, even speaking with you right now via Zoom, yes, we can see each other, we can read each other's nonverbal communication skills, but it's very different. You almost start craving coworkers that you never even necessarily thought you liked, (laughs) or you crave situations like just going to get a cup of coffee and say hi to the barista. So it's very interesting how technology has accelerated productivity to a certain extent, and yet it has basically made our day-to-day lives less intimate. I mean, it will teach all of us, hopefully, for more than just six months after this all kind of gets resolved, it will teach us not to take for granted little moments anymore. It just feels like Groundhog's Day. It just feels like the same thing every day. And specifically, as I said, being what I like to say is a part-time parent with the weeks that we really do have the kids, it really is so regimented that there's no fun or color in it. It's just, we feel like we have to get these certain grades and these certain kind of tasks completed. And it feels very monotonous. It's kind of funny because I used to have those feelings sometimes just picking up the kids from school and taking them to certain lessons or exercises and things like that, that I would get annoyed with just the monotony of life. And I had no idea how much more bland it could get specifically now that we were all confined and we're blessed. I have a house. I have certain levels that I can go and hide in if I need a moment or we have outside space. We're blessed to have at least some space to spread out and find our alone moments. I think about all my friends that live in New York or Chicago or LA or San Diego that are on top of each other or they're sharing, you know, a one story house or a little condo with their significant other or kids. So at least right now, as much as I have a Groundhog's Day, I have space to kind of (laughs) uh, optimize or maximize those couple of minutes to myself.
there's this common phrase that I've been using a lot lately on different media hits that I've been doing, talking about the tragedy of the commons, which I was applying to how mass media was, or mainstream media was covering this circumstance and pandemic at this time. But even that same theory can be applied to what we saw at the very beginning with the toilet paper buying and everyone just kind of working and um, living in their own self-interest and having it hurt the common good. So hopefully, once we all come out of this, people will start realizing how unfortunately selfish um, they were in the beginning in that we could have reduced a lot of people's pain to a great degree if we were just a little bit less selfish and a little more selfless. Without ever trying to call out one specific conglomerate, um, history has showed us that when a national or international tragedy or crisis hits, consuming or consumerism of the news goes up greatly to a high degree. That is why when, let's say, the Boston Marathon bombing happened, all of a sudden, TV news had some of its biggest sales and ad sales to date because people are turning in, turning on and tuning into the news for that visual component in storytelling. And as much as people listen to, let's say, radio in the cars right now, no one's driving. So that's dipping. And reading is one thing, but people like the visual component. So TV news specifically will benefit from tragedies like this, not because they meant to, but that's just kind of our natural, as humans, our natural instinct. Now, the problem is, as we have seen, news is typically on a 30-minute cycle, and then it resets. So at the top and bottom of every hour, it's basically the same couple of stories. They might be packaged differently in Vosats, our live hits, our packages. This is like TV jargon, but it's the same story. It's the same facts. It's the same, you know, people talking. And it does no one any good to keep tuning in to this cycle of reporting, specifically even if news is doing its best to stay um, objective and with its integrity of saying, do not panic, do not panic, do not panic. As a consumer, all you're hearing is the word panic, panic, panic three times over. So the tragedy of commons, unfortunately, right now, news is benefiting from this crisis when it comes to ad sales, which means they're going to keep perpetuating what people are tuning into, which is kind of the, if it bleeds, it leads mentality. And unfortunately, that continues to create this um, self-fulfilling prophecy of the average person living in the state of fear or paranoia. Yeah, my best advice for everyone, including yourself right now, as, you, as we all continue to navigate this, is that um, I tell a lot of my um, students and people now that I've been doing hits with or TV and radio hits or interviews with, um, to just kind of skip the news altogether and go to the primary sourcing and fact check because unfortunately, again, people could say the right fact, but one, emotionally, we hear things differently. And second, not every news station is objective. They are still monetary driven and therefore there will be some type of slant. So instead of going to quote unquote, your local station, and I actually have worked for are in the process of working for one of your local stations. So I don't want to call out anyone directly, but and, you know, in, instead of going to your local TV station or even CNN or Fox network or whatever it may be, 
just go straight to the CDC, go straight to WHO. And I know a lot of people will say, well, how do we know that those organizations aren't slanted one way or the other as well? And there might be truth to that. There might still be some governmental funding that you know creates more of a liberal bias or a more conservative slant, but that is still way more objective than your everyday business news. I personally found Megan's analogy of COVID-19 being like Groundhog Day amusing. She's not the first person I've seen use the analogy, but it is quite apt. We're not sure when things are going to relax, how the next days are going to be, but we also feel like we are simply trying to hold it together day by day. Thank you for listening. Subscribe so that you don't miss an interview. I interview multiple people a week and I am releasing these episodes as fast as I can. And if the story meant something to you, share it because it will probably mean something to someone else. Every time you share the project, it helps the project grow. So thank you. Until next time, stay safe, stay well.